good birthday present and that I'm a big Carolina Panthers fan and that they tied their game, which I've never seen before in an NFL game. Um, but yeah, the opposing team's kicker missed a 30-yard field goal, and so we tied, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so if you're not familiar with uh, what we're doing, we're just going to read a, a section of John. We're going through John. Uh, we're going to be at John 6 um, in our series entitled Portraits of Jesus. And I'm just going to read, and then we're just going to talk about it for a little bit. So John 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done... They said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I pray that um, you would come and fill us tonight, Jesus, where we come in here hungry, hungry people. Um, with all kinds of desires. I pray that, Jesus, you would show us that you meet every one of our desires. We pray this in your name. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at a lot of people who are really hungry. How many of you like to trick-or-treat? Yeah? Anyone got their costumes picked out? No? Oh, McRod does, of course. Um, (laughs) So... Um, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld has this great thing on trick-or-treating. He talks about how when he was a little boy, his first three words that he can remember were, get the candy. And every other life goal, friends, family, whatever, was subordinate to get the candy. And so when he first heard his parents talking about trick-or-treating, he's like, this, is, this cannot be true. Like, everyone that we know is giving us candy for free. And yes, I will do whatever it takes dress up in any costume to get candy from these fools who stupidly give it away. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but when I eat um, dessert, I have like an extra little like sack that all my dessert can go into. Like I can be so full, but like dessert and candy, like I can definitely always have room for those. Um, So yeah, we are really hungry people. Um, Maybe... You uh, are coming into here hungry. I hope not. Um, At least not in a physical way. We're going to talk more about how our hunger in a physical way is related to our hunger hunger in a spiritual way. Um, So yeah, all of us come in here hungry tonight in some way. 
Maybe you're hungry for that special someone who will complete you. Maybe you're hungry to get that grade on the test this week, that if you get that grade, then everything will be good. And maybe you're hungry just for a group of friends who you'll feel wanted in, who you'll feel loved in. Um, So what are you hungry for? Tonight I want to look at two things. How we are all hungry and how Jesus can fill all of us. So let's dive into the first one, how we're hungry. Um, So let's look at this, especially through the eyes of this um, crowd, all right? So have any of y'all been to Sorority Midday? If you have not been to Sorority Midday, you really should go, seriously. It is wild. Um, There are, I don't know if there are a thousand people, but they're close to a thousand people. And I want to compare Sorority Midday to this passage, believe it or not. It is similar to Sorority Midday in that the people are in a celebratory mood and there are a ton of people. So first we're going to look at how there are a ton of people. It says in the passage that there are 5,000 men, but this is not including women or children, so there could have been anywhere close to 20,000 people. So that if everyone, if all of these pews were filled, then you'd multiply that by 100 and that would be 20,000. Or if you've been to USC's baseball stadium, every seat packed everywhere and then times two. That's 20,000 people. So we're talking about a ton of people. And we were just in the dining hall before this, and they were having some dance event, and there were a ton of people. And you kind of get this feeling when you're in a huge crowd, like there's this energy that's there. You know what I mean? It's kind of like maybe uncomfortable, but you feel the power of the crowd, and you're feeling kind of wrapped up in it. Maybe, yeah, a USC football game is a perfect example. So imagine that. And then to add on top of that, they're in a celebratory mood because it's the Passover going on. So we're going to talk more about the Passover throughout this sermon, but imagine July 4th. It's a celebration of people who have defeated a superpower um, that was ruling over them oppressively. So in this case, in the Passover, in the case of the Passover, it's uh, the Jews um, were under the rule of the Egyptians and Uh, The Egyptians were ruling over them and they were slaves. And then God miraculously led them out of of Egypt. Um, So imagine these people with the same kind of uh, emotion as like fireworks going off and parading through the streets in red, white, and blue. Like very similar. Um, So yeah, so these people are um, a huge crowd and they're also a celebratory crowd. And they're hungry for two things. For food and for a revolution. So they come here, they've walked miles to see Jesus. They said that he did signs. And they come here and want to see a sign. And um, they come and they sit down and Jesus feeds them. But they also want a revolution. Um, they proclaim he's a prophet and throw, um, they want to proclaim he's a prophet and throw them on his, their shoulders and sing he's a God, jolly good fellow and go start a revolution against the Roman Empire. And this is all looking great. You can imagine the disciples, like, getting their phones out, about to take an Instagram photo and be like, ministry is going really, really well. Like, we have all these people going to put Jesus on their shoulders. They want to make him king, except Jesus runs away is the only problem. So these people were so right and so wrong at the same time. They were so right about Jesus being a prophet. That is exactly what he was. He was the big P prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. He was the prophet who, from, through whom God would speak, is what Moses said. And that's exactly who Jesus was. 
but they're so wrong about how Jesus' kingdom would come to the earth. They wanted Jesus' kingdom to be this revolution, to be this instant gratification type, um, type thing, but it wasn't. Jesus wanted to use them, and he wanted to um, use a lot of people to bring about his kingdom, like you and me. We're going to talk about that. So right now, I want to look away, take away two application points from the crowd, all right? So the first is we need to examine our hunger, and the second is we need to bring our hunger to God. So first, let's examine our hunger. Are any of you Harry Potter fans out there? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So finally, I was convinced to read Harry Potter, and I have not regretted it at all. It is amazing. You really all should read it. It has brought back the kid in me. And I'm about done with Sorcerer's Stone right now, and there's this great scene in Sorcerer's Stone when Harry got this invisibility cloak, which can we just talk about that for a second? Like an invisibility cloak. Like what would you not give to have an invisibility cloak? That's an aside. Um, but he's in this availability cloak, and he's running through Hogwarts, and he finds the mirror of Arison, which is this mirror where he looked into it, and he sees all these people around him. And then he, he looks around, and there, aren't, there isn't anyone. And then he looks again, and he sees all these people again. And by gazing at them, he can tell that they have really similar features to him. And he comes to find out they're his dead family members who he's never met. And so he keeps going back to this mirror, and he even takes his best friend Ron back to the mirror of Arista, and he said, hey, man, you got to come see my family. Except he doesn't talk like that because he's Harry Potter. Um, and so Ron comes. But when Ron looks in the mirror, he sees himself as the Quidditch team captain holding the Quidditch cup and the house cup, and he has a big badge on his chest, and he's Quidditch team captain. And uh, still going for puberty, guys. I don't know if you heard that squeak, but yeah. Weird. Um, so anyway, so that's what Ron sees, and so Harry keeps coming back to this mirror, right? Keeps wanting to just see his family and just gaze at them for hours. And one night he comes, and Dumbledore is there waiting for him. And Dumbledore tells him this about the mirror of Erised, and this is printed in your bulletins if you want to follow along. The mirror of Erised shows us nothing more than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge nor truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. When you look at the mirror of Erised, what do you see? Do you see that special someone who is falling over head head over heels for you and who loves you like no one else can? Do you see those friends who are all around you, who will never leave you or forsake you, who love you till the end? Or maybe you see your parents smiling at you, proud of you, that you've made a good grade. What is in your mirror, Harry said. Now, I need to make an important clarification here. Our desires for things like love and approval are not bad, even for success. Those are not bad desires. The danger that Dumbledore is talking about here is when we get so entranced by gifts that we lose sight of the giver. So we get so entranced by the potential gifts that God could give us. And some of them aren't, aren't, like Dumbledore says, they aren't true. Or they aren't going to happen, but we get so caught up in them that we lose sight of God. 
C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves says that when you begin wanting something more than God, it immediately becomes a demon. So Harry would lose sleep an hour's worth of energy gazing at this dream that he had. So what is that dream for you? So as well as examining our hunger, we have to submit our hunger to God. One of my friends has two kids who love to go to Dollywood. Have any of y'all been to Dollywood? I really, it's like on the bucket list. I've heard so much about it. Um, but anyway, they, they live kind of near Pigeon Forge in Tennessee, and they go to Dollywood pretty often. And um, one weekend, him and his wife told their kids, they're like, all right, we got a surprise weekend for you. We're going somewhere, but we're not going to tell you where it is. And so they start heading out, and the kids start to realize that it's a little farther drive than it usually is to get to Dollywood. And they end up taking them to Disney World. <laughs> yeah. Where Harry Potter lives. Um, so imagine you're one of these kids. Even though this was not where you thought you were going to go, you thought you were going to go to Dolly World, but you're at Disney World. Um, or Dollywood. You're at Disney World. Um, so you have the choice to either embrace the surprise of being at Disney World or to be upset that you're not at Dollywood. So that story just goes to show you that a lot of times our own plans for our lives are not as good as what God has planned for us. Um, and when we spend so much time focusing on those things and then they don't happen, it's a big waste of time. So even within Christian activity, we must constantly submit our hunger to God and submit our desires to him. All right? So I mentioned before how the crowd knew the right answer about Jesus. They said he's the prophet. And I think a lot of us are the same way. Um, we've grown up singing these songs. Maybe you knew some of them by heart. You know how to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But a lot of times, Jesus can get drowned out in all of our Christian activity. Let me tell you what I mean. Does Jesus lead at you in your Christian activity? Um, it is easy to have a Christless Christianity when we feel like there is no authority over our dreams, when Jesus has no authority over our dreams. Let me give a quick illustration of this. So I graduated with a degree in religious studies, which people would always respond two ways when I asked them, one of two ways when I asked them, or when I told them I was a religious studies major. They'd say, oh, that's interesting. Or they'd say, oh, what do you plan to do with that? And every time I'm like, I'm going to show them I'm going to be the most successful religious studies major there's ever been. And so I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill and came here as the REF intern, which is, if you, if you want to know a path where you are going to prosper and where, where you're going to make a ton of money, be an REF intern. Yep, Kendra and Scott can tell you. It is the road to prosperity. Um, but so yeah, I found myself as an REF intern. My days are filled with meeting with students and with praying and with reading the Bible and doing Bible study. But sometimes I can come to the end of my day, and especially when my days are less busy and the busyness can kind of die down a little bit, and I hear the whisper. And the whisper says, when will you talk to me just to talk to me? When will you hang out with me just to hang out with me? I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's definitely a struggle for me. Um, even within a job that is supposed to have Christ in and around it. So often Christ can be absent when I don't tell him how I'm doing and hang out with him on a, on a basis just to hang out with him. So we've looked at how we're hungry. We've looked at how we have these desires that we 
long after. So now let's look at how Jesus can fill our desires. All right? So Jesus fills us in three ways. He fills us by caring for our physical needs, by being a covering for us, and by being a feast for us. So caring for our physical needs, covering, feast, we're going to look at physical needs first. I'm going home this weekend, and I'm so excited because I get to have all my mom's, oh man, pumpkin pie, uh, chicken enchiladas. Um, She makes these little cakes or pies, which are like blackberry, blueberry, whatever I like ask her to make. And it's wonderful because you get a piece of crust in every bite of the pie. It's amazing. But I like to think of Jesus as like any good mother here. He can't stand for you to be in his presence without you being fed. And so that's what Jesus is like here. He sees these people, and he knows all of them completely. He knows their bad motives, that they are about to come and make him, and try to make him king, try to manipulate him into being something that he doesn't want to be, but still he feeds them. Um, So Jesus, first of all, cares for our physical needs. And also, a quick side note on this. this is one of this is the only miracle actually that is in all four gospels and I think the reason for that is to show us that Jesus isn't some pie in the sky person who just cares about us believing in him and doesn't care about us getting a stub toe or going to bed with a headache or having unhealthy eating habits he cares about all that stuff y'all um, and I think this passage is meant to show us that so he cares for our physical needs And then he's also a covering and a feast for us. And both of these things are contained within the Passover. All right. So, guys, we're coming. We're like lap four of the sermon. So hang with me. We're going to talk about a little bit of history of the Passover. So just bear with me on this. But to understand John 6, you need to understand the Passover. All right. So I'm just going to give you a quick history. We already went over a little bit. So, um, yeah. So in a few Passovers after this Passover, Jesus is going to be with his disciples, just the 12 of them, and he's going to take the bread and break it and say, this is my body broken for you, and he's going to pour the wine and say, this is my blood broken for you. So he shows them that he is the fulfillment of the Passover, and so that's what we're going to talk about right now. So the Passover is a celebration of the night when... um, When the Lord came into Egypt, his spirit came into Egypt, and he said that I will kill the firstborn son of all of the Egyptians, but I will know you're the Israelites if you take a lamb without blemish, kill it, and put the blood of the lamb over your doorframe, okay? So there's a covering there, you see that? And a sign that you're God's people. And then the second part is the feast. So with the rest of the lamb, they took it in their house and they had a feast. And they feasted on the lamb all night and kind of had a celebration of God's deliverance. So, um, yeah, so a covering and a feast. We see both of these things. So the first one is the covering. Um, So here is the most serious news of the night. There's going to come a day when God is going to judge every one of us. And we're going to die, and we're going to stand naked before God. But here's the best news of the night. Jesus died on the cross and spilled his blood so that that blood could cover you and cover me. All right? So let's talk more about what that means. Um, He wants to cover everything that displeases God, okay? So he wants to cover your pride, your shame, your anxiety, 
your worthlessness. He wants to cover all of those things in his blood. And he will if you have faith in him. That's the best news of the night, y'all. From the moment you believe in true faith and repentance, you are sealed in the promise of eternal life. A promise made with Jesus' own blood on the cross. So in John 6, Jesus runs away from people who want to exalt him as king. But on the same night of the Passover, Jesus will not run away from people who are coming to make him a mock king. So we're just like the people in John 6. We have this idea of Jesus, of someone we want him to be. And almost always he surprises us and is this person who we never thought he'd be. Someone who would die the death that we deserve after he lives the life we should have lived. He is the king that we desperately need, even if he's not the king that we thought he'd be, or the king that we think we want. Um, Yeah, so on the cross, that's where Jesus emptied himself so that you and me could be completely full forever. It is where he drank the cup of God's wrath so that you and me could drink the cup of God's eternal favor and love for us. So, Jesus is a covering for us. He covers all of our sin in his blood that's pure and perfect. Jesus is also a feast. We are invited to feast on his body and his word. These two things, his body and his word. So let's look at his body. Um, When Jesus was with the disciples, like I just said, he broke the bread and poured the wine. And part of the reason that he told us to do this in remembrance of him in a local church is so that we can hold bread and put it in our mouths and realize that just as real as that bread is going into our mouths, that's as real as Jesus is. He came in flesh. He was born just like all of us were. He was tired sometimes. He had stomach aches sometimes. And in the same way, just as real as it is that when we eat the bread and, the wine, and drink the wine, it goes down into our throats and into our stomachs, just as real as that is, that's as real as it is that Jesus comes and lives in you. It's that real. So this communion, this Lord's Supper that we have in the local church is such a grace of Jesus to us, reminding us to feast on his body. Another way we feast on his body is by enjoying people in this room, enjoying God's people. Scripture says that we are God's, that we are Christ's body, and each of us have a specific part in his body. So when we're with each other, we are feasting on God's body. We don't have life groups just to get together and discuss the sermon and be able to memorize it better. We have life groups. A big part of the reason we have life groups is so we can serve each other, that we can be Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet for one another. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of life groups. If any of y'all want to learn more about joining a life group, we should talk. Um, and yeah, so also, so he's his body through communion in the local church and through other believers. And then finally, we feast on Jesus' word. Um, so have any of y'all been to No Name Delhi? Yeah, great place. Y'all should really go. It's like classic Columbia. Great sandwiches. I had the hamburger today for four bucks, and it filled me up and was one of the best hamburgers in Columbia. But outside of No Name Deli, they have this sign that says, not by bread alone, and then underneath it, it has a Bible. And that comes from a verse that Jesus said, where he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus invites us to feast on him through reading his word. We can have a daily relationship with Jesus through reading his word. 
So, now we've seen how Jesus is our cover and our feast, but you may be sitting here asking, well, how does that relate to my deep hunger? And honestly, I think that's a question that you'll struggle with the rest of your life, (laughs) to give you the bad news. But... The exciting news, I guess. You're finding it out. But let me give you a quick illustration from my life just to kind of relate this to you. So this past summer, I was invited to five different weddings, which is awesome. Weddings are great. Um, Incredible food. Fun people. A lot of people that you haven't seen in a long time. Getting together with them all. Um, The dancing. I love to dance crazy, as maybe some of you in here do as well. But the worst part of the wedding is when you find yourself alone on the dance floor and everyone has gone home with their husband or wife and you're standing there alone. So driving back home after the weddings every five times, I, <laughs> um, I would have this mix of emotions. Part of me would be so happy for my friends that they're starting this new chapter in their lives, that they found someone that loves them and they they love, and part of me would just feel this really deep, forever empty, emptiness. And so I was feeling this way, driving back from my car, and this song came in my mind that we used to sing at RUF at USC, at UNC. Um, And it's called Jesus, I Am Resting, Resting. And this third verse really spoke to me. Simply trusting you, Lord Jesus, I behold you as you are. And your love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart, satisfies my deepest longings, meets, supplies my every need, surrounds me with blessings. Yours is love indeed. No love from any woman can satisfy this deep longing that I have for love, for a love that will not let me go ever, even after death. For a love that loves me completely after it knows me completely. No woman can do that for me. No amount of great sex can make me feel um, since it's like I have satisfied my every need. The greatest which of which is a need for a rescuer to rescue me from the sin which I'm addicted to. No, no woman can do that. Nothing on this earth can do that. Y'all, I still don't believe that, all right? That is a struggle for me to believe. It's a struggle for all of us to believe. But the good news is that Jesus knows that. He knows you so much, and he loves you so much. And he's patient with you. The love of Jesus frees you and me to seek those desires that we have in our mirror of Erised, without having to make those desires the end-all, be-all. We can see those desires and pursue them, and then if they don't happen, we can say, your will is done, Lord, and I give all the praise to you. It frees us to pursue those desires, knowing that our ultimate desires have been met in Jesus, and that we are sealed with him for eternity. That he is our covering for us, so that we have a perfect relationship with God, And he provides a feast for us every day in his word, the church, and in fellowship with him. So I have two questions for you tonight. Do you feel your hunger? And do you believe that Jesus can satisfy all of it?
Let's pray. God, we're really hungry people. Um, every day we need food, and Lord, every day we need you as well, God. I pray that you would come to each one of us in your Holy Spirit and fill us with yourself, God. That you would come up and make residence in each of one of us, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. It's one wicked road.